Hello and welcome to episode number 33 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. My name is Dandy Francesco. I'm the deputy editor of Cellside Technology. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Anthony Maliki, and the U.S. editor of Waters Technology. Good to be here as always. So as you saw from the title, exciting guest, president of IEX, uh, Ronan Ryan. Really great conversation Ronan and I had at the IEX offices. We're going to get to that in just a minute. Before we do so, though, we have an upcoming event in Chicago that Anthony will be attending. Anthony, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so on September 20th, we got the Chicago Trading Technology Summit. It's going to be at the beautiful Mid-America Club. We're at the top floor there. Uh, beautiful sight lines. You know, so come out just for that. Just for the views. Yeah, just for the views. To hear me moderate a panel here and there. Um, but yeah, so we got some you know, we got some good speakers. We got uh, Anthony Johnson from J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, Blair Hull, Hull Investments, and um, Patel Walker, who's uh, chief counsel to Commissioner Brown and the uh, CFTC. Um Lots of topics, you know, ranging from HFT to machine learning to blockchain. So if you're in Chicago, September 20th, if you're an end user, it's free to attend. Um, you can reach out to me, Anthony Malikian. Um, my contact information is on the page um, that you clicked on here. And uh, and I can direct you as to how to get signed up and registered for it. Um, but other than that, I think uh, we're ready for the uh, IEX interview. Yeah, so I think we'll bump it right now to Ronan Ryan, President of IEX. All right, so I'm joined now by Ronan Ryan, the president of IEX Group, newly appointed president, somewhat newly appointed. Uh, previously was the chief strategy officer. Ronan, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, no, glad to be here. So I guess to start, let's, you know, June 2016, this past June, you were named the president. Talk to us a little bit about the transition from going from chief strategy officer now to, to president. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no real transition, to be completely honest. Uh, we're a small organization uh, we had hired a, a new chief strategy officer, Eric Stockland. We wanted to make room for someone at a C-level title, and I had just migrated my title up to president. Uh, tr- from a transition standpoint, day-to-day jobs stay the exact same. Just so, a matter of kind of changing the business cards, yeah, maybe the placard yeah, out front. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my wife's a little more impressed than she was before, but besides that, nothing else has really changed. <laughs> yeah, now you yeah. can walk around and say, I'm, I'm el presidente, yeah, I'm I, the president. I, I am the P. Yeah. <laughs> so, phase-in period. The phase-in period began August 19th. Now yep. it ends uh, this Friday. Talk to us. Well, first, I guess, have there been any surprises, good or bad, you know, maybe that you didn't, didn't anticipate when you first started that came about? Oh, with the transition? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't call them necessarily surprises. You build in a transition period for a very real reason. So when people first saw a transition period of two weeks, we're like, oh, does it have to be that long, right? You'd like mm-hmm. to flick a switch and be in exchange day one. But it's a smart way to do it. Take a you know tactical approach, do two symbols first day, which is what we did. And then mid the second week, we did another eight symbols. So until, you know, the end of last week, we were doing 10 symbols total. Um, things have gone remarkably well. You know, trades, clearing, settling, no problem there. We had, we had a small issue um, with, uh, in terms of a clock, clock drift issue in terms of reporting to the SIP. And I, I kind of view it as a positive because the fact that you're in a rollout period and we just have two symbols trading – you know, people noticed it. You know, we'd, we'd obviously caught it, but, you know, Eric from Nanex had tweeted out about a difference in our reporting on our SIP. So, it, it's, it's you know, it's good, and I mean this truly. It's good to see him go both ways. You know, some people say, oh, he's overly supportive of IX, so for him to come out and knock us with something, it was, you know, it was pretty interesting. But we, we fixed the technology very quick, and now our clock drift is non-existent. We're in line with the other exchanges. But, again, it was an issue, something that we caught, 
And that's the whole process of a rollout. And it had no impact on trading whatsoever. It was just a delta between the timestamp on our direct feed versus the timestamp on the SIP reporting. Sure. So, I, it's, it's almost something, not that you hope for, but you're like you said, it's the whole point of having the phasing period is to get all those kinks out so that once you guys are yep. fully ready to go, that's all taken care of. Bingo. And if the kink is something as minor as that, that's the kind of kink that you want, to be very <laughs> honest, right? So, sure. You know, we, 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 we did weekend testing, obviously... Our guys, our tech team have done a phenomenal job and spent a lot of time working on this. So we expected everything to go well, but it's gone remarkably well. So we're very proud of that, you know, knock on wood and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So transition period ends now. What are, we'll go short-term goals first for IEX and then maybe bump it out to long-term in terms of over the next year. But first, next three to four months, what are, what are the goals for the exchange? Yeah, so it, it's, it's hard to set a goal in terms of, because a question we get asked, you know, repeatedly is where's your market share going to be end of september end of the year that kind of thing it's very hard for us to chart that like when we launched as an ats we got that question a lot as well and it's 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 more of we expect a migration and we expect it to continue to grow and how quickly it grows and to what level it grows it's hard to say but what i think our focus will be and our goals are more around meeting with our client base, our constituents. And one, one thing we've been given a lot of credit for, you know, some things we're not given a lot of credit for, but one thing we get a lot of credit for is the data that we provide to our clients, uh, the brokers. The brokers who are subscribers to the ATS, and now that we're an exchange of the members, uh, we like to give them individual reports on their interaction on IEX, you know, percent of time crossing the spread, very, very detailed information. And then generally we work in a you know, not a, a teaching, it's more of a consultative approach to maybe you'd have a better experience on AX doing, you know, this versus that, and then they'll explain why they do other things. So it's, 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 it's actually pretty interesting, and I'm excited to do it now as an exchange, because while we've had displayed quotes on IEX for the past 18 months, now that they're protected, it's, it's a whole different gamut. So I, I guess in answer to your question, it's more of a meet with the clients, tell them what we're seeing, ask them what they're seeing on IEX, and how we can grow this together. Mm-hmm. What it, longer term though? Any yeah. any big picture plans? I mean, yeah, like a long term plan. Something that we've been working on already that we expect to launch and come to fruition in 2017 is the listings business. So we're we're looking to um, do listing switches. You know, day one, and we've been meeting with a lot of public companies. And um, you know, the idea around it, of of course, you know, when we started off to create an exchange, we thought, hey, wouldn't it be nice to do listings down the line? But we've had a huge amount of inbound interest. Frankly, it's been it's been very very humbling the interest that we've gotten from public companies, and you know we're meeting with name brands. My 12 year old daughter knows what they do, right? <laughs> so it's, it's 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 pretty remarkable. So that's something that's important to our strategy going forward, and I mean that's conducive to growing market share as well. So you know market share growth. Uh, we view it a little bit differently, maybe than most. But we view if we can if we can explain to our you know both both our buy side and sell side clients, um, you know how they benefit trading on IX, and then we bring in listings that helps grow the market share. So we're we're taking an approach where it's a, it's a really hard thing to do because as you can probably see outside, there's our market share is all over every TV screen in this office, and it's, you know, <laughs> being responsible for growth of market share, you know you'd you'd like to see it higher, but. Um, Coming up to this rollout period, we'd communicated for months with the brokers that we expected there to be some retrenchment over the period of the two-week uh, migration to full exchange, and we, we think starting next week we'll start to see things change again. It's a pretty, you know, 
people throw out the word complex and complexity all the time <laughs> around markets and interwoven markets, but the true fact is it's very complex, and it's not a matter of a broker go, oh, IEX is an exchange today, and especially when we're an exchange in some symbols and an ATS in other symbols. So, you know, the, mi the migration's going well, and it'll, you know, we we'll kind of tackle what next steps are starting next week. Yeah, sure. So now you talk about growth. The the biggest thing when I talk to one of the things that comes up when I talk to people about IEX in the space is around revenue sources and the scalability of the of the exchange. It's a question I'm sure you guys get asked all the time because you're not a traditional exchange in terms of your revenues, especially around market data fees and whatnot. So what is your plan? I think that's a, a question that a lot in the a lot of people in the industry have is as you guys look to grow and look to scale, while it might be easy to you know rule of size as you get bigger you need kind of more revenue what's your answer to those critics i should i guess yeah i, I wouldn't even say it's critics I'd, I'd say it's uh you know you know people are more curious than anything you know again coming out of the gates as an ats and charging nine mils aside we, we got a lot of oh this will never get to half a percent this will never get to one percent this will never get to two percent, and we we kind of you know maybe maybe it's because I'm Irish and we're used to being downtrodden in history. I I kind of I kind of relish the challenge of that. Now coming out as an exchange, yes, we don't have a revenue line of market data, but you know that was a conscious decision made from day one. We don't also pay rebates, so if you look at it from a you know a non-displayed trade versus an undisplayed trade on IX, it's we we charge nine mils a side, so that's an eighteen mil capture rate. We plan to always make our money off of trading. And trading only, and in fact, you know, from day one, the design of the pop and instituting the delay and moving people away from trading so that they don't trade at an inferior price, we're actually moving clients away from trading. We're causing less volume when all our money is dictated from from trading. So I think what we'll do is we'll stay true to our model. You know, it's 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 been out there in the press, and again, we're very humbled and mean no arrogance by it. But we're cash flow positive. We've we've a lot of money in the bank. And, uh, you know, we, we have a long runway to see this through. So, you know, things like discretionary peg, our order type that we launched a little bit over a year ago. Again, that moves people away from trading in times when we feel they don't want to be trading or they shouldn't be trading. And it's an opt-in. You can choose to use it or choose not to use it. But what that's done is it's rewarded us with more flow. So I, I think where the street's going is there's constituents who are willing to pay exorbitant fees for low latency, cross-connects, co-location, FPGA, fiber, flux capacitors, the thing's gone completely bananas. But there's a huge level of constituents that don't love the arms race because the arms race levies expenses on them. So when you see a venue like an IX that charges you, yes, when you trade, it's very easy to understand what your costs are at trading on IX, and we expect to continue down that path and be rewarded for that consistency. So we will and we do plan to launch new products, if you will, um, similar to like a DPEG, similar to the POP, things that don't necessarily give us a spike in volume day one, but they're done for the real reason of trading the right way. You know, as hokey as that sounds, that truly is our model, and veering away from that model right now would be, you know, besides people would call us full of you-know-what now that we're in exchange. <laughs> it's just it's not in our DNA. So what, you know, you touched on a couple of times saying people don't necessarily give us credit for this, or what, what's the biggest thing that's misconstrued about IEX, whether it's from folks in the industry yep. or media folks, people like me, you know, yeah. <laughs> that, uh, that frustrates you when you hear or when it's constantly kind of brought up? Yeah, yeah, don't jump across the table when I attack you now, <laughs> people like you, but... What I'd, what I'd say we, we often hear most, if, if, you, if you asked people 
you know, on the periphery of the in, of the industry, what does IX do? They're like, they're the anti HFT guys. <laughs> HFT are evil and all that stuff. And like, you know, honestly, uh, from day one as an ATS, um, we didn't have to provide fair access. We we've always allowed high frequency trading to trade on IX. And uh, you know, and, and I hate when people say this, so I kind of hate myself saying it, but. HFT is so badly defined and such a broad definition. To us, we're not anti-HFT whatsoever. We're anti some of the practices that exist in the markets. And yes, many of those practices exist in a low latency fashion. Uh, we're 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 more of you know what I'd like to be memorialized as is you know we're not anti-HFT. We quit our jobs to create an exchange. And I remember when we did, people were like, "You quitting your job to go work at a vendor? Are you out of your mind?" <laughs> But we went to the exchange, and we view ourselves as competitors to exchanges because the exchange is the center of the ecosystem. And the exchange, whether knowingly or unknowingly, is enabling a lot of the practices that occur here. So we have high-frequency clients trading on IEX today. Some won't. Most do. And as long as people come in and they trade under our rules, the same rules as our largest broker, as our smallest broker, whether they're full-service, agency, retail, everyone's on a level playing field to, again, use an overused term. And if HFT want to come in and, you know, play on that same level playing field, we, we are more than happy to have them here. And it, it's kind of funny because we have some very, very great meetings with the HFT community. And they, too, have also credited us to our face on the amount of data that we provide. They, you know, everybody knows what trades they're sending into an exchange, but they don't necessarily see what their interaction is. And, you know, while we don't tell them who they interacted with specifically, mm. we can on aggregate show them how they interacted on IEX. So I, I, I just think, you know, people define us too broadly or too quickly. And it's probably a product of, you know, the book and everything like that. The easiest thing to say is they're the anti-HFT guy. And the other, the other thing, not, not to – you gave me a mic, so I'm going to moan. Uh, <laughs> the, the other thing is a lot of times people say, you know, they slow things down. But the way in which they say slow things down, they say slow things down – with the negative connotation of slowing things down. And, and you know, it's, it's not a defensive stance here, but we're, we're slowing things down in a very purposeful way by 350 millionths of a second. I mean, we, 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 we need to get our heads out of the you-know-what when you start thinking that 350 microseconds is a monumental slowdown. I mean, I don't know who measures this shit, but it's one one-thousand the blink of an eye. <laughs> Let's be very, very honest here. We slow it down for a very specific reasons so again it's just it's very easy to say oh the slow guys are the anti-hft guys but li listen look you're 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 part of a, a book uh, you know within an industry you're part of uh exchange filing that was probably you know obviously more comments than any other exchange in history you kind of you, you light a fire you got to walk through it so we're realists here we're not sitting here crying going oh they think we're slow it's just you know you ask the question yeah yeah no i i you know you i don't know if you remember you actually spoke at one of our conferences back in december of 2014 oh, yeah, yes. That's and you right, gave in the marriott marquee yeah right? exactly yeah, yeah. yeah lovely midtown and uh and you gave a, a similar speech how you guys aren't anti-hft and i think you know i've spoke with anthony maliki and my co-host who's usually on this and yeah. the uh the u.s editor about similar how I think people tend to get very, it's very polarizing of topic and they oh, like to yeah. kind of pick yeah. one side or the other. And yeah. that's not, that's not how it is. It's a lot more gray than black and white. And yeah, 100%. It's sort of like, uh, you know, you, you know, on, on both sides, people say all it is is good and people say all it is is bad. And it's, like I said, it's, it, what is, what is it? Right. <laughs> and, you know, technology has evolved and it evolves in every single industry and you're not putting the genie back in the bottle. We're not going back to people on a trading floor so it's just a matter of embracing technology, but but also putting your hand up. And 
let's be very honest and say, you know, as a result of regulation, the fact that U.S. equities is such a tightly interwoven market where you have to rely on prices from one market before you price your market, um, it does lend itself to structural inefficiencies. And all we're saying is that those structural inefficiencies absolutely unequivocally exist and we've built a model where we slow things down to allow us to normalize those structural inefficiencies and provide what we believe is the fairest trading platform. That's what it is. And whether you're agency broker versus HFT, that's of no consequence to us. And I tell people this all the time, and I don't say it in a smart-ass fashion, but even when I'm meeting with my buy-side clients who've been so supportive of IEX from day one, I'll say, listen, if you come in and you buy stock, and like five minutes from now that stock plummets, Personally, I don't really give a shit about that because that's not my role in the market. My role in the market is to give you the fairest experience at the time that your trade's consummated. We're, we're a referee in this. So, um, I mean, like I said, you give me a mic, I'll, I'll <laughs> No, no, that's, that's, keep going. that's yeah. fine. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about, you know, the biggest – yesterday came out Chicago uh, Exchange adding a, a similar feature. Um, then you have NASDAQ and NYSE also adding these, you know, these, these features, the extended – you know, orders or whatnot. Yep. Um, what are your What are your thoughts on that? Is it yes? We're, clearly, we're making an impact because our competitors are changing, even if it's ever so slightly the way they're operating. Yep. Or is it kind of like, man, these are the guys that were you know giving us the hardest time, and now all <laughs> of a sudden it's yeah. Look, it, it's 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 a little bit of both, right? So speed bump, as what our delay has become known as, you know, speed bumps are not created equally. Mm-hmm. So look. If someone like a CHX comes out with a proposal that they came out with, and, and to, be, to be frankly honest with you, I mean, I think it's like 66 pages or something. I haven't had time sure. to, to read the whole thing. So what, what I would say, you know, you know, it's a form of flattery, I guess. I, I just think it's funny. There's the naysayers going, hey, guess what? I told you so. There's going to be speed bumps all over the world. And, you know, come on, nonsense. I, I, I think what's most interesting about it is this. Uh, during our comment process, when the final extension happened, the SEC also put out for comment a de minimis proposal of anything sub one millisecond, and people went up in arms. They're like, oh, there'll be thousands of order types. Uh, but what people missed, maybe purposefully or just genuinely missed, is what the SEC are going to do is subject any of these speed bump proposals to a public comment process. And a public comment process is the, it's the most democratic way to do it, whether IEX was dragged over the coal for nine months on this common process, to, to be honest, you know, it, it wasn't that difficult of a process. So I, I think what will happen is, you know, specifically CHX, I can't come out and say, you know, we're pro or against what it is that they proposed. I think innovation in the market and the fact that people are now publicly talking about doing the right thing for the institutional investor or other exchanges in the market are saying things like clients are being picked off. I think that's a positive for the market. The conversation is a positive, you know. Uh, with with the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ, they haven't been very specific on what it is that they're saying. They're saying, oh, we might put speed bumps. But to me, I find that ironic uh, that you sell speed as a solution, which they unequivocally, undebatably do, and now you're going to sell a speed bump. (laughs) It just, you know, it, it... it doesn't go hand in Talking hand. Talking out itself. two sides of your mouth. Well, I, I think so. I'd, I'd like to see more detail in their proposal, uh, and and we will if it's submitted for a public comment process. And I just think, 
if a public common process, you, you, you go through it and people submit two sides and then it comes down to the SEC to make the decision like they did on ours. But it, it's not for IEX to come out and now that we're in exchange, all of a sudden say, no one else can have a speed bump. <laughs> like, I, I, I love technology personally. And I think what we're doing here is one of our investors had once said, you know what you guys are doing at IEX? You're using technology to institutionalize fairness on Wall Street. And I, and I thought that was a great quick definition as opposed to we're anti-HFT. We're using technology to institutionalize fairness. Who are we to stop anybody else from taking that same mantra and putting it into play? But what I think the common process will yield is it'll yield whether that proposal, that speed bump A versus IEX's speed bump, yields the same results. And I, and, I, and I think that's the democratic way to do it. So Sure, sure. Changing topics a little bit, I want to ask you about Lucas the Stag. <laughs> <laughs> so for those, the uninformed... You went to Fairfield University yes. for undergraduate. Yeah. Their, uh, their mascot is a stag. Yes. And his name is Lucas. Yep. And you were the mascot. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, he, he, he had no name. He was the stag when I was there. But, um, yeah, I, it's, it's funny because – was that in the book? Is that how people know? Like, uh, I, I, no one talked about it now, like, the last couple of years. Like, people ask me how that happened. And, and the truth is I only did it my one year, my senior year, and there had been – Someone, I don't even know who it was because they were in a costume like I was, who was was a great stag. And I guess he, or I think it was a he, had graduated the year before. And then the person who stood in for the stag, I was going to the games and they were just standing there. So I, I had ran uh, cross country at the school for four years and I knew the athletic director. And I just said, listen, you know, if you let me do this stag thing, I'll bring a little bit of enthusiasm to it. And then what I would do with my friends is we'd get a keg and... <laughs> we we lube up with the you know the 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 Irish truth serum and sure. put on the costume and march in there and just go you know crazy and right. the crowd seemed to love it so I had a lot of fun and uh, I, I think and I'm a skinny guy as it is but I used to lose like ten pounds a game sweating <laughs> so it's it's almost like you saw a problem in a certain industry and you decided to go in there and take take control of it yourself where have I heard that before Boom. It's, it's you're a good. simpler sentiment you're very very good. <laughs> yeah. I never looked at it that way before, but the so, correlation between the Fairfield stag and Wall Street. <laughs> so, uh, so you were a runner as well, four, yeah. four years. At, yeah. what, what was your specialties? So I did a cross country, which was five miles and 10K, which is 6.2. Wow. All yeah. Right. Uh, I'm hardly a runner anymore, but, uh, you know, that's, uh, my wife was a runner, so that's where I met her on the, on the women's team, and she's still running. I'm not. <laughs> did you do did you do track and field as well or just cross country? No, so I did uh, I did track in high school, but uh, Fairfield uh, did not have a track team. I, I had just come over from Ireland, so I didn't really understand the whole looking for a college thing. And Fairfield was near where I was staying. I'm like, well, I'll go here, and that's yeah. the only place I applied, and I got <laughs> in. So yeah, I would have liked to run track because I was more of a track runner. But yeah, no, I did. I, I enjoyed it for four years, and then. Once I graduated, I went back to playing soccer. Have more fun in my sports. Yeah. What's your position in soccer? I play defense. Defense? I used to be sweeper, and now as I've gotten slower, well, I stopped playing a few years ago, but I play fullback. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Very yeah. nice. Very nice. So <clears throat> the other thing I want to, to talk to you about is uh, about almost a year ago, uh, well, first of all, you know, Flash Boys, so you have Moneyball, you have Blindside, and you have The Big Short, all been in made into successful motion pictures the movie question yeah (laughs) so it stands to reason that there's a good chance flash boys could be made into a movie i think the options already been picked up yeah columbia pictures uh picked it up uh you know from what i understand this was new to us but um there was a little bit of a i wouldn't call it a bidding war but a bidding process and within two three weeks of the book being released 
Columbia Pictures had bought the rights to make the movie. So, you know, they can buy the rights. I, I, I think they pay Michael Lewis in perpetuity till they make a movie or decide right. not to make a movie. But um, we have no inside track as to if and when. Um, it stands to reason that his books have, have done pretty well in the movies. Big Short came out in 2010, movie 2015. Our book, Flash Boys, 2014, so maybe 2019. I have no, I have no, I have no inside track to it. It's, it's kind of it, – it's, it's a double-edged sword, right, because um, we feel that we've built IEX on the merits of the model and the employees that we have here. We're like 76 strong, not on the back of a book. And any movie coming out shortly after Exchange launch might detract from our message and what we're trying to do as a business. The good news is they haven't even started mm-hmm. from what I know, so probably minimum a few years away anyway. Right. So I think I think if we get legs to grow on our own, and by the time my kids are in high school, there's a film with their dad with a better Irish accent and cursing all over the screen. They'll think I'm pretty cool, and, <laughs> and maybe I'll enjoy it. But like, like I said, uh, honest to God, it's 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 not even a fleeting thought of ours. Well, yeah. let's just play a little yeah. hypothetical, yeah. fun studio maker. Because uh, almost a year ago, I wrote a column, and I kind of cast the movie with a couple of the, oh, really? the IEX guys. Oh. Yeah, so. For, I'll ask you first, who do you think would best portray? What Hollywood actor would best portray? Yeah, so, you know, I, I'm fairly consistent on this, but I haven't put too much thought into it, to be honest. I, I always just say Colin Farrell, because he's from Dublin, and he likes to throw around the F-bombs a little bit, which <laughs> has become synonymous with me. But, uh, yeah, that, that'd be funny. That's, who, like, that's who I picked. That oh, was really? actually oh, that really? was my go-to. I said I Colin Farrell. I truly did not know that, listeners. <laughs> I, I, I thought maybe about going with uh, uh, Cillian Murphy the of, of uh, Peaky Blinders yeah, fame and yeah. Batman. I like Peaky Blinders, yeah. Yeah, so. but, uh, but I thought Colin Farrell would be, be a good fit for you. Listen, I'll take anyone that gives me cred with the women. <laughs> Colin Farrell might do better. Anyone <laughs> that you wouldn't want to be portrayed by that you'd be like oh man is that really is that yeah that well really? you know it's a it's a fun it, I, i'm i'm joking here but there was an article i think it was a forbes or the forbes article where they mentioned jackie chan would play brad and uh, it was, i don't think they were serious but uh-huh. as a joke i said you know then i'll have chuck norris play me so, <laughs> uh, for the record i don't want chuck norris to play ronan in the flash boys that would give you that would give you some pretty good rep though as, as a as a badass but yeah, i can understand why yeah, he, he's about 80 now and <laughs> yeah the age gets difference. darker by the year which is a little bit opposite to what yeah. should happen yeah. Yeah. true very yeah. true well, listen, Ronan, I appreciate you taking the time. This has been uh, great. So thanks. You know, obviously, you guys are a much talked about space and, and exchange and people want to hear. So it's good to get an update on what's happened so far and, and what's going forward. So thanks so much for talking to us. Yeah, today. cool. I appreciate you coming in genuinely. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. All right. And we are back. This is Anthony Malikian, U.S. Editor of Waters. And I'm here with Dan DeFrancesco, uh, Deputy Editor of Southside Technology. So, Dan... You got to go up to the IX offices um, and speak with Ronan. Any kind of takeaways that you have for our audience, maybe uh, that uh, the audience might find interesting? First, uh, as anyone that's familiar with Flash Boys, they know that uh, Ronan's not afraid to drop a couple F-bombs or mm-hmm. S-bombs. Very well behaved on the podcast. Almost oh, yeah? to the point where I was disappointed yeah. in terms of... You were his... hoping to have an NSFW uh, <laughs> tagline. Uh, I wanted or... to earn I wanted to earn an explicit lyrics tag, uh, but he was very well behaved. I think only had you know one or two cuss words, so uh, I was very impressed with that. No, I think that he's obviously a very smart guy, and it was, you know, one of the things that we talked about was something that Anthony, you and I discussed a couple podcasts ago around kind of the debate around HFT and, 
He's like, you know, when I asked him what's the biggest, mis one of the mis most misconstrued things about IEX, he said the whole, like, anti-HFT and we're against HFT is is ridiculous. And he said how it's frustrating, you know, and he kind of agreed with me and my sentiment that it's, you know, it's not black and white. The argument's not black and white. There's a lot of gray. There's a lot of middle ground. He talked about how they sit down and have conversations with HFT firms and, you know, discussions with them. So it was refreshing to see that someone that's right in the thick of it gets it and isn't, you know, and, and understands. And that was something I knew ahead of time, but just to, to reassure, to know that, you know, they understand and they kind of agree with the same sentiment that it's not this black and white radicals on both sides. Uh, also, one of the things we talked about, it's a topic that, you know, gets brought up a lot was around uh, making money, how the firm is going to make money. It doesn't making money is nice. Yeah, you know, making money is very nice. It's not one of those traditional um, exchanges in terms of its market data or co-location, obviously. And and Ronan, you know, said, you know, we, you know, was I mean, you guys all heard all this, but true to his word, I thought that was very interesting how, you know, we're not going to go against what we've been built up the whole time. And the list, you know, he kind of threw it in there. I'm sure, not sure if everybody caught it, but the, the listings business they're going to look to get into in 2017. So that'll be very interesting because obviously it's a popular, you know, IEX for lack of a better word is very sexy. So does that draw firms that maybe don't want to go public on other exchanges to IEX? I don't know. It's, it's, It'll be interesting. Um, so uh, I thought it was a great conversation. Ronan's a great guy. He knows exactly what he's talking about. Um, so I was I was happy to have a chat with him. I was happy they, they let me talk to him. Um, to on to some you know quick fintech news here. We have uh, today is September first, which means that the margin rules around non cleared derivative trades uh, comes into effect. Now this is something that our uh, our friends, our brothers and sisters over at Risk have been pounding away, working on. It's more of a pure finance topic than a, than a tech topic, but there is a tech angle. Anthony, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so I guess, you know, just starting today, it's 21 banks in the US, Canada, and Japan. are They're now required to exchange initial margin on non-cleared derivative trades. Um, European banks, they're not, they won't be subject to these rules until next year. And really, before I get into this, um, you really have to ask what the hell the regulators and politicians in the U.S., Canada, and Japan were thinking, pushing so aggressively ahead with these rules. Um, like Europe, they could have waited to enact these rules until next year, from what I understand. Um, but it, it sounds to me that it was mainly politically motivated because the Obama administration really wanted these rules live before the November presidential election. You know, it's kind of another feather in the cap of regulating the big evil banks, I guess. Um, so anyway, this is by and large, as you said, a finance, a legal issue, risk issue um, that tangentially touches on technology. Um, there could be added market volatility, and as a result, hence you know, uh, risk systems need to be up to task. Um, but that's always there, uh, and there could be liquidity gaps created as some banks may be left with a reduced number of counterparties as a result of that. So the, there, there is a bit of systems play there, um, and getting information, accurate information is important, but that's always the case, and you're always working on those kind of things, so you're not really specifically building out products, as I understand it, for this rule. <clears throat> Excuse me. So as you said, um, our colleagues on risk have been covering every angle of this. Uh, again, not much of a tech issue, uh, at least not right now anyway. 
And uh, so one London back office source told uh, one of our risk colleagues, uh, Lucas Becker, that he predicts near paralysis in the quote unquote near paralysis in the week following the deadline. And uh, one counterparty credit risk manager at a U.S. bank said that, quote, people are just frantically trying to get these things signed so we can move collateral. If we can't do that, the lights go out on Wall Street. I like that. The lights go out the on Wall Street. The lights go out on Wall Street. It's game over, guys. Closing up <laughs> Close shop. It up. See you later. Um, and a collateral manager at a European bank, he said, quote, I personally think it will be a horror show on September 1st. I can tell that several banks are not where they should be, and I'm worried. Uh, from what I've heard, uh, one European bank, at least uh, right now, as we started off this day, was having a lot of trouble uh, clearing trades with uh, the U.S. counterparties. So, you know, you're, you're kind of seeing already, and again, Risk will have a lot of the inside uh, scoop on that kind of stuff. Again, it's a finance thing, not quite a technology thing. But I guess that it is kind of a little bit important to discuss what it is and why it's, why this is such a, a, a kind of a challenge. But essentially, and this is according to Risk, not a legal expert, regulatory expert, I like gadgets. Um, but essentially, uh, to trade under the new rules, dealers will have to change the CSAs. CSAs are your credit support annex uh, contracts that allow the exchange of variation margin between counterparties. Um, they will also need to sign an initial margin CSA, which is a brand new document for them. And because initial margin is required to be held by a third party, and again, I'm stealing this from Lucas here, uh, a bank also needs to sign multiple uh, custodial agreements to cover each bilateral relationship. Uh, so each custodian has its own set of documents, but they all cover the same ground, basically, laying out the procedures that have to be followed when transferring assets Excuse me, and who has control at the point of one party's default, for example. Um, and they typically run to 20 or more pages in total, uh, again, according to risk. Um, so all that's nice and fun, right? Well, I guess there, there is a bit of a technology angle here. And uh, uh, one of my uh, one of the risk uh, reporters, uh, editors, uh, Peter Madigan, uh, today he published a story and we'll link to it. But uh, looking at Acadia Soft's Blazor utility, uh, which aims to automate margin calls. Uh, again, we'll link to it, but because the mandatory exchange of initial margin will increase the pressure to match trades and agree on margin requirements quickly and accurately, uh, this could lead to an increase in the amount of disputed margin calls. <coughs> Hence why you're looking for some automation there. You're, bless you there, Dan. Uh, <laughs> <coughs> it's a call. He, he's just he's so We're emotional so about, this. about yeah. this. Margin calls. Uh, so I issue here, and this will be stealing from Peter this time, uh, but trade mismatches would frustrate the automated margin calls generated by Blazor and likely require human intervention to manually match the trades correctly. Uh, but Acadia Soft CEO Chris Walsh uh, tells Risk that they partnered with post-trade service provider Trioptima, who many of you are familiar with already, uh, to address this risk. And he's confident, Chris Walsh is confident, uh, that the utility can cope with this uh, added pressure. Uh, basically, we'll find out, uh, probably not even today, I think, but really Friday morning as margins settled at the end of the day. So I think tomorrow morning we'll have a much better idea as to how things are going here initially in the U.S., um, I'm not sure, you know, Canada and, uh, Japan, you know, well, I guess we'll hear from them as well, but, um, but there are other hiccups that could arise, especially if those 21 banks aren't using ISDA's, um, standard initial margin model, uh, which is acronym SIM, 
uh, to calculate margin. That could create some other hiccups along the way. So this will be something we'll keep an eye on. Uh, I do not have a great opinion on this other than that it was stupid for the U.S. to aggressively push forward on this on their starting date uh, rather than waiting until next year. Uh, but if you, the listener, have any insight, uh, feel free to give Dan or me a call. You know, this will be something that we'll be following, but uh, it'll be interesting to see going forward. But other than that, that's all I got for today. Yeah, I guess that's uh, it. You know, So thanks so much for listening, and uh, we'll check back in next Thursday. Thank you.